It was pretty early on in me and Mary's marriage that she received a cookbook. And it was a cookbook from the Dangerfield area. And Mary got that book and she was going through it and she saw a lady's name on there. And this particular lady made a very good pound cake. And so Mary decided she was going to make us this pound cake. And she followed the directions in the, in, the, uh, in the cookbook perfectly. Put everything in there that needed to be in there. And, or at least what was said to be in there. And then she pulls this pound cake out of the oven. And both of us are very excited to eat this pound cake. We didn't bake too often by ourselves. We, uh, but she pulls it out. And it was this sloshy eggy mixture we tasted it and it didn't taste like pound cake but it tasted good but it tasted like really sweet eggs and she didn't understand well what happened I followed everything it said and so she calls her sister-in-law who is a pretty good baker and 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 her sister-in-law tells her well read me what was in it and Mary reads all the ingredients and she says well did you put flour in the cake Mary said, it's not in there. It wasn't in the list. If you want a good cake, you probably should have flour in there, right? And we probably knew that, but if you're following the list, something is missing, and sometimes when things are missing, it can really mess up what you're really wanting. And that happens in our lives as well. All of us uh, are going through this life, and there is something probably in your life that's missing. Something that, that, that you need in order to be exactly what, what, or to have exactly what you want in this life. Towards the end of the month, most of us are saying, well, it's, it's money that's missing out of our, our checking account, right? We, we struggle with that, or I need this, or I need that. And then there's something in our spiritual life, right? Sometimes there's things in our spiritual life that are missing from allowing the kingdom of God to rule in our lives. And this is what was going on as we've talked about the, the 12 apostles. This is going on in their life. They have something that's missing when Jesus is ascended into heaven. He tells them that he's going to send their spirit upon them, but, but something's missing, and they're, they're around in this room, and they're wondering, what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus told, us, told the apostles what was going to happen. In Acts chapter 1, verse, verse uh, 4, it says, this is Jesus talking to his apostles. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father has promised, which, I, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the apostles are waiting for Jesus' promise to come true. And sometimes when we're sitting and waiting for Jesus' promise, Jesus' promise of returning to us, we're wondering, well, when is, when is Christ going to return? The thing is, our God is so much more patient than we are. 
If you looked at the Thessalonian church, whenever they heard about Jesus, they were ready for Jesus to come immediately, and they stopped working. And they were just going to sit around and wait for Jesus to come. Well, Jesus is patient. God is patient. We don't know if he'll return tonight. We don't know if it will be 300 years. We don't know. But in this particular instance, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem a few days. And so they knew it was going to come. Eventually, it was going to come sometime soon. And they were ready for the kingdom of God to be restored. They were ready for Israel to be restored. Look at what they asked Jesus before he ascends into heaven in verse 6. It says, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I imagine the apostles are sitting there and they're wondering, well, what is taking time for the Spirit to come? What do we need to do while we're waiting for the Spirit to come upon us? And I think this is a question we need to ask ourselves. What do we need to do for the kingdom of God to rule in our life? What do we need to do as a church for the kingdom of God to rule? What do we need to do in our own personal lives for the kingdom of God to rule here? What do we need to do? Well, one of the things that Jesus had told his apostles... In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, he says, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, so when Israel is being restored, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And if these guys are looking at each other, Jesus told them they will be sitting on twelve thrones, but how many are there? There's eleven. One of their number has broken this circle of apostleship. One of their number has turned against Jesus, has, has betrayed him, and now there's 11, but Jesus says there's going to be 12 thrones. And if Jesus is being literal, they're trying to think of, well, who fills that 12th throne? It's not going to be Judas. We've got to do something about that because the kingdom of God can't reign here where he will, Jesus will be sitting on his throne and the apostles will be sitting on their 12 thrones if that throne is empty. And so they have a decision to make. They have something that needs to be done. If we move over to verse 12, it says, The apostles returned to Jerusalem from a hill called Mount Olives. A Sabbath's day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. While they're waiting for Jesus to return, while they're waiting for this Holy Spirit to come upon them, what are they doing? 
They're doing what Jesus taught them to do. They're gathering together. They're being part of a community. They're being part of the believers. They're meeting together and they're praying for God to show them what they're supposed to be doing next. And who is it? It's the 11 apostles. It's the women that we've talked about, the women that that have been following Jesus. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And matter of fact, this is the last time in Scripture we will read about Mary. And who else is there? His brothers. His brothers that didn't believe before, but now they've seen a resurrected Jesus. They, they, they openly were against Jesus, but now when they've seen him raised, they were believers. And they're sitting around waiting. What do they decide to do as they're waiting? Verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120 And he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. What happens? Peter stands up before the group of 120. And if you look at the group that was meeting, sometimes when I thought about the people in the upper room, I I would think maybe it's just the 11 apostles, but it was much more than that. It was a group that's about the size of this congregation right here. This is about the, the size of the early Christian church, the first real church meeting where Peter stands up and he says, brothers and sisters, Just as a side note, your Bible might just say brothers. And some of the newer translations will say brothers and sisters. And when I first saw that in a new translation, I started thinking, well, what's the Bible trying to do? Is it trying to be woke and and just including everybody? And so I did a little bit of a study of why some versions say brothers and sisters. And it comes down to this word called Adelpho. The word Adelpho, whenever it says Adelphos, the plural form of brothers, that word means the same blood, or it could also be used as countrymen, those that have come from the same group. And the feminine form of that word is Adelphe. Now we use words like brothers and sisters, two different words, but That was all the same root word. And so if you ever said brothers or Adelphos, that included both groups. So that's why some translations will mention both of those. And whenever Paul talks to the churches and he says brothers, that word Adelphos includes everyone. So we're all included in in specific things when he's talking to the church because we know in the 120, there were the women, there there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. So he's saying, church, brothers, those of the same blood. And then he talks about Judas. Judas must have been a sore subject for them. Judas was their friend. Judas worked with them. He was part of their ministry. Did they do wrong? Should they have figured out that Judas was someone that was going to betray them? And as they searched through Scripture... They realized what Judas did had to have happened. 
one of Jesus' followers was going to have to betray Jesus. And now they had to decide, what do they do about that? And what they did is they start remembering what Jesus talked about. All throughout Jesus' ministry, if you were here whenever we talked about Judas, Jesus would, would constantly point out that someone was going to betray him. There was, there was a betrayer in the midst. Jesus would point out psalms, and I think these apostles were hearing the psalms Jesus would, would talk about. And they would take these psalms and they would apply them to their situation. And that's why Peter says in verse 20, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. What Peter is doing is he's, he's taking two different psalms and he's seeing what happened with, with, with David and he's applying it to his situation. And he looks in Psalm chapter 69 and he realizes that Judas, his position has been deserted. Judas is going to be going where, where, away from the kingdom of God. Judas's end is grim and grisly, and Luke will point, say how, how Judas dies, and he doesn't say it in a very pleasant way. But then Peter also looks at Psalm chapter 109, and it shows that someone needs to take that place of leadership. What do we do when we need to make decisions? One of the best things we can do is see how God showed us how to make godly decisions. Go through Scripture and take these Scriptures and apply it to our lives, not in ways that, that take things out of context. Sometimes we take things out of context, but that's what the church is for. The church is to, to sit and talk about what different people in the Bible did at different times and how they reacted to different situations and, and, and when they did godly reactions, this is how we should react. And what they saw in Scripture was this throne needed to be filled. In verse 21 it says, Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who had been with us the whole time the whole time the Lord was living among us, from begin, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of us must become a witness with us of his resurrection. What they were looking for is someone was supposed to stand up and witness, just as Jesus said to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Someone had to be able to stand up and tell what Jesus had done. But it couldn't just be anybody. It needed to be someone that saw Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. From the time that John was baptizing for repentance. Through all of the teachings that Jesus taught. Through his miracles. Through his death. Through his resurrection. And then through his ascension from heaven. This was someone that needed to know the teachings of Jesus Christ. If you look at a lot of different places, a lot of different churches, there's lots of people 
that preach for their own gain. There's a lot of people that, that and Paul will talk about these people, they, they call them super apostles, that, that preach a message that is not of Jesus Christ. And often if you look at, at, at certain people, and if they're benefiting out of their ministry, if they're looking like, 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 like they're, they're making great benefits through financial wealth or whatever, while others are, are hurting... You might want to think about, is this person really doing it for Jesus? Is he really preaching Jesus' message? And they wanted to make sure they were not getting Jesus' message convoluted with the message of man. They needed someone that had been with them the whole time. And the believers looked and they, they nominated two men, it says in verse 23. It says, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Out of the 120 there, these were two of the guys that had been in, with Jesus and had seen his ministry. And we can assume that they were one of the 70 that Luke sent out, and, uh, that Luke talks about that Jesus sent out in Luke chapter 10. Jesus had a big crowd that followed him. But these two guys were there from the beginning. They were there to the end. And they were two that met the criteria that, that the apostles looked at, that had set out, that could fulfill this role of apostleship. There were lots of disciples of Jesus, but there was a role of the sent, the apostles, that Jesus was going to allow to incredible things to work through them we got to remember that, that the bible was not written at this time and so the words that they would say the the people that would follow the teachings of the apostles the words they said was as good as the scripture that we have and the words that they said would eventually be written down as the writers of the gospel write all the different books We had Justice, and we had Matthias. And the two men had to be decided upon. Which one were we going to put in this incredibly important decision? Decisions aren't always easy to make. There's a philosopher named Walter Kaufman that coined a term, decidophobia. Decidophobia, meaning that humans don't like to make decisions because we're anxious that the decisions we make will be wrong. And I think most of us sometimes struggle with decidophobia, right? My wife isn't in here. She's in Bible hour right now. But if we ever decided we wanted to go out to eat somewhere, I think she might have decidophobia, Right? I'm sure she's not the only wife in here that has decidophobia. And the husbands, whenever we decide on a restaurant, we realize that we were quickly wrong. Right? <laughs> we don't want to be wrong. If you're wanting to watch a movie on Netflix, you're scrolling through, and if you're wanting to watch it with, with two people, it's hard to decide which one you're going to watch. So many choices. How do we make it right? 
So many of us are going through different decisions that we have to make right now, and we don't want to make the wrong choice. We want the choice to be godly. We want the choice to be the correct one. We want the choice to be something that's going to help us in life, to fulfill whatever's missing from our life right now. I like how the apostles decide. In verse 24 it says, They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. They had a choice to make, and, and what they did was they relied that the Lord would be faithful and would help them make the right choice. They said, Lord, you know the hearts of everyone here. You know our hearts. You know what's going on in our hearts. Allow the right person to step up. And one of the things they did is they decided to cast lots. And, and, and for some of us, we look at that and say, so they kind of just gambled away who was going to be the next apostle. But I think really what they were doing is they were making sure that they were putting their faith that Jesus was going to be the one that chooses. And if you ever uh, wondered what the casting of lots would be, it would be uh, like two stones and on one stone it might have had written on one side of it apostle on the other side it might have been blank you'd throw that stone in a cup and then you had another stone that would have said justice and then the other one on the other side would say matthias and to make sure it wasn't rigged one person would shake the cup and throw out the the stone and if it said apostle and then the other uh, one threw the stone and it said matthias it was showing that the lord was making this choice. This is what happened in the Old Testament several times. They, you, we see several examples of the casting of lots, of allowing God to choose for them. But they just didn't blindly say, God, choose anybody. They had already done their part. They made sure that the, person that they, the two that they set before them had met the criteria, and they were allowing God to decide. And we don't have to allow God to decide through casting of lots. One of the beautiful things is right after this, you had what is called Pentecost. And God does send His Holy Spirit upon the apostles. He sends it upon all 11 apostles, and I know that that, that tells us what the apostles did. They were being faithful to our Lord. And Matthias was added to that number, and we don't know anything more about Matthias from here. He's mentioned in one chapter, and that's the last time we've ever heard about him. Now, the Christian historian Eusebius will tell us that Matthias preached in Judea, and he eventually was stoned to death for his preachings, but that's just in a little bit of church history. We don't know exactly what he did, but God... I know we'll use him or used him. And he's one that will be sitting on one of those 12 thrones. 
So what do we do when we have tough decisions to make? I love what the apostles showed us. It's, they spent time in prayer. They, we can't discount that prayer is so incredibly important. We need to be led by the Spirit in prayer. And we, we need to know what the Scriptures are saying. We need to be able to see what these Scriptures are saying and, and apply these things to our lives. When they read the Psalms, they, have to, they apply how things that David are, was going through, how that, mean, how that shows when we're struggling with certain things in our life. So often we need to react like David, but we don't need to think, take things out of context. That's why you gather together in the group. You learn as a church how we're supposed to handle certain situations, how we're supposed to apply the Bible to our lives. That's why we have Bible classes. That's why we do small groups. It's to make sure we're keeping things in context. Make sure that we're Serving God through prayer and through community with believers. And we'll see this happening in, 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 the, in the Gospels. They no longer were casting lots, but when the new Christians were coming in, into, into the fold, when the Gentiles were coming into the fold, they were wondering, well, do they have to practice all the Jewish traditions that the Jewish Christians followed? And so... These Christians that started out in Judaism, that, that followed these Jewish traditions, they, they, they had to think about it. And they, they think, well, well do, do these Gentiles have to follow our traditions? Or do they just have to follow Jesus? And in Acts 15, verse 20, 28, it says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirement. They prayed together and they prayed that the Holy Spirit will help them see this, this decision. And when we are led by the Spirit, He will open our eyes to certain things. And what happened was they told the Gentiles they didn't have to follow the traditions of the Jewish people. But it gave them two simple things. It says, stay away from idols and stay away from sexual immorality. These two major things that were pulling them away from God. Sometimes the Spirit shows us the answer, and then sometimes we struggle. And Paul so, shows us that as he's trying to be led by the Spirit, and what he's doing is he's trying to go into, into Asia. What I learned in my, in, my, in my mission trip, or not mission trip, but it was a, it was a, a following in the, in, the, in the Holy Land, going along Paul's journey, what, where Paul was wanting to go was a place called today called Istanbul. And it's where Europe meets, a, meets Asia on this little uh, peninsula kind of thing. This was a happening city. Paul wanted to go there. He wanted to do good things. He wanted to move up into Asia and preach the word. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia when they came to the border of Mysia and they entered Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. What's happening is doors were closing for Paul. What did Paul do when doors closed? He, he pressed forward a little bit. And then doors closed again. When we're looking to make decisions, sometimes doors are closing and one of the things we can do is we can try to still press forward a little bit. Or then we can be like Paul, who starts seeing, well, where is 
the Spirit guiding us. Where is it leading us? And what we do is we need to see where doors are opening. Doors weren't open for Paul in Asia, but they were opening for him in Macedonia, in Greece. And Paul's ministry goes over there, and that ministry is flourishing to this day. We've got to listen to the Spirit's call, but we can only do that if we know who Jesus is. We know that by His Word. We know that through prayer. We know that through gathering together as a church body. And the more we know Him, the more we can allow that Spirit to lead us in our life. And so today I hope the Spirit is leading you to follow Him. Maybe you're called to follow Him into baptism. If you haven't made that decision, you can be baptized today. You can have your sins washed away and you can be raised with Him for eternity. Or maybe you're struggling with another decision and you need the prayers of the church. We can pray with you. Whatever you need, please come while we stand and sing.